Palace Perspective is brought to you by Palace Capital Advisors, a comprehensive wealth management firm with locations in the Northeast, specializing in financial and estate planning solutions, investment management strategies, and family office services for high net worth families across the country. Now, here's your host, James Landry. Welcome to the Palace Perspective, the podcast that brings you conversations and professional analysis on the topics and trends affecting your everyday financial life. I'm your host, James Landry, and I'm glad, once again, you chose to listen in today. I have joining with me back again today, one of my colleagues here at Palace Capital Advisors, Joe Colin. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thanks, James, for having me. And today, Joe and I are going to cover state and income tax considerations in light of what's going on in Washington, D.C., particularly related to President Biden's Build Back Better agenda. And to help us do that, Joe and I have a guest with us here today. Mr. Jay Pabian, a partner of the Boston law firm of Rubin and Rudman, LLP. Welcome to the podcast, Jay. Thank you, James, and it's great to be here. And just a little bit on Jay's background for our listeners. Jay's practice focuses on developing effective exit planning strategies for the owners of privately held companies. And business clients rely on Jay's deep legal and financial background to prepare for the eventual transition of their businesses. And Jay is really known for his highly skilled approach to creating master plans that transition businesses while preserving and protecting important legacies and assets. Just a little bit on his education. A master's in tax LLM from Boston University. He's got an MBA from Northeastern University, a JD from New England Law, and then he graduated, oh, I'm saying probably just a few years ago from Brandeis with a Bachelor's of Science. In addition, Jay has completed the rigorous Certified Exit Planning Advisor or the SEPA program through the Exit Planning Institute the most widely accepted professional exit planning program in the world. And prior to entering private law practice in 1983, Jay was a CPA at KPMG Pete Marwick LLP, one of the top four CPA firms in the world. Jay speaks regularly before the Massachusetts Bar Association, Boston Tax Institute, and the American Cancer Society. Just a phenomenal talent. We're really pleased to have him with us today. Joe, maybe you could share with our listeners a little bit about how you and Jay met. Yeah, thanks, James. Yeah, Jay and I met uh, probably at this point, had to be about 15 years ago, and we were put together by a, another individual who I worked closely with on the advanced planning side, and we had a specific case that we were working on, and given Jay's expertise, he thought that both professionally and personality-wise, Jay was the perfect fit for this client and for myself and my wealth management team. It all started from there. That was the simple introduction. We had a great experience working on that client and that began our relationship and it's been a very fruitful relationship since. So Joe, you and I have talked about this before. What is it about Jay's background? I just went into sort of his credentials and his background. What is it about his background that makes him, I say, particularly suited for comprehensive planning? I'd say really ideally for the closely held business owner. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of a better more qualified individual to help that specific type of client out. As you said, when you went through his background, I mean, Jay's expertise, as we like to say, he's got a, uh, we could do a a cross-disciplinary basis for that individual, that business owner, because of Jay's expertise in estate planning, his expertise in tax, and his expertise in corporate law work. Now, as I always tell the client and position it, we're going to Jay for, you know, various reasons really most importantly for estate planning, potentially business succession planning. But what you're going to get with Jay is advice and a well-rounded opinion 
because of that expertise. He's not going to come at you with just the angle of the estate attorney. He's going to wear multiple hats for you and advise you extremely comprehensively. And now clients go through it with Jay. And it's a, it's been a wonderful experience. You and I have said before, Joe, that coordination amongst your advisory team is so critical for a client's ultimate success. And to have someone with Jay's background that uses that cross-disciplinary approach, not just a legal, but also a tax background as well, is just really uh, a huge win for clients. And, and that's why it's exciting to have you on today. And so, Jay, let me pivot to you. About a month ago, we at Palace published a newsletter that in early September, the House Ways and Means Committee had this $3.5 trillion proposal, and that it included in that proposal significant income and estate tax provisions that I called a seismic shift in the trust and estate planning landscape. Well, <clears throat> as things usually happen in Washington, D.C., the Democratic Party's bill ran into some headwinds in Congress, and even headwinds from their own party, moderate or centrist members of the Democratic Party notably Senator Joe Manchin in West Virginia and Senator Sinema of Arizona. Those senators objected to the price of the bill. They estimated again around $3.5 trillion. After some negotiations, and I'd say a fair amount of wrangling, uh, a pared-down versions of the bill have been proposed in the $2 trillion range. So let's take us back to September when that House Ways and Means Committee introduced the bill that got estate planners like yourself and, and ourselves excited. What were the particulars of that bill that everyone was talking about? Well, thank you, James and Joe, and thank you for the amazing introduction. And one of the things that I just want to mention before I get into the details is that I've been blessed with a, a great educational background, but I think what really molded my career was growing up in a contentious family business and living through all the problems and what I have found very special about my relationship with, with Joe is that is really taking a holistic approach and really taking a look at the whole situation. So I just wanted to take a moment and just thank you because that was an amazing introduction. But going to the Tax Act, the House Ways and Means Committee, which is where tax bills are introduced, issued us a large written document um, known as this Build, Better, Build Back Better Act. On September 13th, which had these sweeping tax changes. The changes included in the income tax area an increase in the top rate from 37% to 39.6% for individuals with over $400,000 in adjusted gross income, and a surtax of 5% for individual adjusted gross income over $10 million and even a further additional surtax for individuals over $25 million. It, a group of lawmakers had also been pushing for an increase in the, the cap on the deduction for state and local income tax deductions of $10,000, which is also still in the, in, the, in the mix. There was an increase of from 20 to 25% for capital gains tax rate. So the current rate is 25%. The increase was 25% for adjusted gross income over 400,000. That would have been effective September 13th when this bill was introduced, as well as a billionaire tax on unrealized gains. gains. The corporate level... Jay, if I could just stop you and just make a comment. I think one of the things that was missing from that September proposal was the feared lack of step up in basis at death of appreciated assets 
for errors. In April, President Biden suggested that was part of his agenda. That wasn't in the proposal, correct? That's correct. And that's a great point because there were two um, bills, like both Democrat and Republican, introduced in the spring that had those provisions that would have been a very major, had a major effect on, on many, both not getting right. the step up at death and having certain events create a, a realized gain during lifetime. So then we have the corporate um, income tax changes and just real quickly, the increases would have been effective the first of the year in 22, where the tax rates would be increased with, with the highest rate of 26.5% an income above 5 million, 21% over 400,000. And, and then the, a huge change introduced would be a reduction of the, for estate tax purposes, we all currently have an exemption, uh, which has gone up as high as $11.7 million per person. That 11.7 million was scheduled to be reduced, basically called sunsetting, in the beginning of 2026. And what this bill did or would do would be to decrease it now from the 11.7 million person to 5 million per person index for inflation back from 2017. So that would come out at about 6 million per person. I think maybe I could just uh, make a point here is that scheduled sunset to going from 11.7 down back to the six in early 2026, you just mentioned, that was part of the 2007 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act under President Trump. Those sunsets, and there were other things that sunsetted in that same law, was part of their way of paying for that law, right? I mean, that every bill that's introduced has to be reconciled and it has to pay for itself. That was how they pay. So when we're looking at proposals from Congress... What we have to understand, and I think our listeners probably know this, is that every proposal has to somehow find revenue to pay for itself. And that's why there is this balancing act in, in Congress to you know, give and take, right, to make sure things balance out. Yeah, that's correct. And, um, great. and I guess the point in that is, is all these proposals have to be fleshed out so they could be subject to change, right, in 30 days time or sooner based on someone's idea of balancing a, a budget. Right. And then the second big area that affects, that would affect the state planning is the bill introduced a basically elimination of the benefits of so-called grantor trust. Now, a grantor trust is a common trust that most of us are familiar with. Uh, the most common is the so-called revocable trust that you set up when you do your estate planning, where the grantor, sometimes the person who creates the trust is the grantor, and the grantor has the ability to have con certain control over the trust. So with a revocable trust, it's the control to amend and revoke. Other types of grantor trusts, very popular, are so-called irrevocable life insurance trusts. Sometimes the acronym ILITS are used, and that's where you put the life insurance ownership and beneficial interest into a trust that typically would benefit, for example, a spouse and then children. And if without doing that, the life insurance proceeds, the full proceeds, not what the policy is worth, but what's actually the death benefit would be also part of the calculation of the estate tax. So, and that's been around since I've been practicing in the, in the mid eighties. 
um, before that. And, and then other types of grantor trusts that you may be familiar with are so-called grantor retained annuity trusts, often referred to as GRATs, and qualified personal resident trusts, referred to as Q. These two types of trusts, GRATs are typically used for stock investment assets. And it's a way to transfer those assets into trust and get um, the appreciation or most of the appreciation out of the taxable estate. The grantor gets back the original amount at the original value and typically a certain period, usually it's, most of them are like three to five years. And the only catch with those is you have to survive the term. And that's why we keep them short. So that, you know, to minimize that risk. And, and then the original amount comes back and all future growth goes to the trust for the beneficiary. And the, it's a really popular method for highly appreciable assets. So if you have a, like a, a stock in a company that you expect to go public or have some you know, major growth event, it's a perfect way to get some or, or all of that appreciation out of the taxable estate. And, and then the qualified personal residence trust is used for personal residence. So it could be a primary residence or a vacation home. And it's a way to get the appreciation out of the estate by retaining a certain number of years. And then the balance goes to a trust for the benefit of the, of the family members. Along with these these grantor trusts, what has become hugely popular is what's known as a SLAT, which stands for Spousal Lifetime Access Trust. And those trusts are, are basically where the grantor can have your cake and eat it too, because the way those work is the grantor, I'm going to use the word giftor in the case, sets up a trust and can include his or her spouse children and grandchildren in the trust. And it could be the spouse first, then the kids, or, or, or the spouse and kids could be included together. So with the beauty of that type of trust is if the grantor, if you feel like you've gifted too much, there's a way to claw back through the spouse. And that has some other, a lot of other factors. But in short, those types of trusts would be eliminated by that original bill that came out in um, 2000 in, in September. And, and we should clarify, these, these trusts are not new and exotic techniques that someone came up with last year. These have been around in some cases for decades, right? And yeah, so yeah. this would be a complete oh. rewrite oh. of the estate planner's toolbox, so to speak. Right. And then the other part of the toolbox is that when we, when we look at estate planning, in minimizing taxes, we start with the core exemptions, and then we go to these other techniques to gift above the actual exemptions. And then, you know, we also look in a crystal ball and try to see what it's going to look like over time. And so the other thing that would be eliminated by the September bill would be the ability to discount gifts, which is very popular with gifting so that only a portion of the lifetime exemption is used and not all of it. So that also would be, would have been eliminated by the September version of the bill. And then lastly, there's a very popular technique, as James has said, has been around for decades, 
And it was totally vetted through the court system and was a very, now is a very safe, popular technique where you can, where the, the grantor, giftor can actually sell assets, take back a note, roughly say two thirds of what's gifted. And the note is then, then has a low interest rate so that that third in my example plus all the appreciation would, would be out of the estate. And that technique also would be eliminated in that September act. So huge amount of bad news for estate planning that, that came out of that, that bill in September. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe one of the big fears and questions that clients had was, well, Jay, I understand this is going to be eliminated. What about all the stuff I did in the past? Should I be concerned? Yeah, and a great question. The, the bill wasn't 100% clear. But my peers in reading through the bill, at least the portion that was written, it appears that everything that was done before would be grandfathered. But you would have to be careful, for example, in making contributions to trusts that were already created and would have to create a different type of trust for gifts. And just so that it's not all bad news, the other type of trust, which we haven't talked about, um, which is a so-called non-grantor trust is a trust that would be set up for family members. You could not include the spouse in, in, you know, in, in this trust, but it would be for children and grandchildren that you know, where the grantor would not be able to retain powers. And that would continue to be available under that act, as well as certain types of gifting using active corporations. So, so that's their... Um, we're, there are other changes to the act that I'll go over quickly, which is changes to so-called small business stock, which was initially an incentive for investors, for non-corporate taxpayers to invest in small businesses. And basically it was a, a great benefit capped at $10 million of, of gain, of capital gain, and the tax would basically allow that gain to be not taxed at all if the gift, excuse me, if, if it was organized after September 27, 2010. So prior to that, it was still available at a 50% reduction of the capital gain on that $10 million. And then we went to 75% in 2009, and then the Obama administration got it up to 100%. So the new tax act, it would go back to the 50% prior to 2009. The, there were also some changes regarding our IRA conversions that Joe and his team would be able to help with that basically eliminated Roth conversions would have eliminated Roth conversions of traditional IRAs and employer-sponsored plans such as 401ks for income over 400,000 and individuals with more than 10 million in qualified you know, tax-advantaged retirement accounts would be required to take minimum distributions regardless of their age and Roth IRA conversions would be eliminated in 2032 for wealthier taxpayer. The... Which, just to touch on that, we, we actually read a lot this year. I'm not sure why it was this year, but mm-hmm. about the mega backdoor Roth IRA conversion. 
which is people that participate in 401k plans at work, usually larger employers would allow you to make an after-tax contribution, I think up to 38500 in after-tax contributions to your 401k, in addition to your pre-tax contributions, the deferrals, they would take those after-tax amounts and immediately convert them into Roth IRAs, no tax, right? Because it was after-tax dollars. And now you have an asset that's growing forever income tax-free to you and your beneficiaries. That could be, if you did that every year, it could be substantial. That adds up. That was being taken away by this proposal. Jay, with all this, what have you and, and other advisors like yourselves been telling clients with regard to estate planning? Particularly, I guess, even the rank and file insurance trust owner. I have an irrevocable life insurance trust. Maybe I have three, $4 million of death benefit in there. I'm worried about how do I fund that death benefit after this bill is, as proposed if it were enacted? Okay. So it's a great question. So, so with respect I'll start out with insurance trust. The because irrevocable life insurance trust would come under that category of so-called grantor trust, under the proposal, you wouldn't be able to make contributions to the because those contributions would then make the trust subject to estate tax. So basically what that means is that if the bill goes through, that you would need to pre-fund future contributions into the trust. So one of the things that advisors are now recommending is to pre-fund the future premiums now, which would be a gift. And in that way, those trusts, as we mentioned, otherwise the proceeds would be taxable at death. So by pre-funding that trust, you would lock in the protection. And we, we talk to a lot of our clients about this. And, and generally speaking, with term insurance policies, those premiums are relatively low. Maybe not a problem to prefund those trusts this year, but for clients or individuals that have permanent life insurance policies, those premiums are larger. All of a sudden, it's not just in a planning strategy, it's a cash flow question. Do they have the ability to prefund those? They'll be using some of their annual exemption above the annual exclusion amount this year. So, those conversations. For sake of time, I want to accelerate right now to okay, that was September. Here we are in November. And there's been some stuff that's transpired in Washington, D.C. So where are we now, given all of what you just talked about was the initial proposal? What's on the table right now? Okay, so much to um, our surprise, I mean, we, uh, most of us know that it's been really difficult for Congress to get this infrastructure bill through at the $3.5 trillion number. However, what is now being proposed is to back that down through the Biden administration to $1.75 trillion. And so what that does is, on one side of it, is cutting out a lot of the programs that were, that were recommended. And the, so the, the new bill includes funding for expanded health care coverage, affordable housing, universal pre-kindergarten and other child care programs, expanded Medicare benefits to cover climate, expanded Medicare benefits, climate change, green energy provision, and otherwise a lot of the priorities were eliminated, which includes things like Medicare coverage for dental and vision, free community college, the national paid family and medical leave program, and reduced prescription drug prices. All right, so this comes out just last 
week, I think October 28th, if, if I'm not mistaken. So it's, it's right. brand new. I have heard this week, especially Nancy Pelosi, Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi has said that she wants to add, they want to add back in the paid family leave provisions. I think up to four weeks is what I'm hearing. So again, under negotiations, Joe, you and I were talking just before this podcast that uh, you had spoken to one of the CPAs that you work with on a pretty regular basis. And some of the income tax provisions of the September bill were no longer around, right? Absolutely. So first thing this morning, she she brought up and mentioned how much of a fluid situation this is. And we have constant change as we're approaching year end. We've got uh, less than two months before we, we uh, click into 2022. And as of essentially today, we're looking at no changes to income tax rates or capital gains tax rates. But again, who knows what this afternoon brings, right? So from a planning perspective, James and Jay, that's what's making this rather difficult. We're planning for hypotheticals here. So you've got to basically make sure that we're doing things that wouldn't harm them if uh, our clients, if things do not end up changing in 2022, looks just like 2021. Jay, maybe if you would just give us a the two-minute version of highlights oh. of this this proposal, the recent proposal from President Biden. This, I guess, a trillion here, a trillion there. Pretty soon, you're in some real money, but yeah. it's it's one point seven five trillion dollar proposal. The good news for planners is most of the things that I spoke about are not part of the revised plan. So, the with respect to individual income tax rate, the that the that proposal was dropped. However. The 5% surtax that applied to individuals over 10 million and the additional 3% over 25 million is still in. The capital gains increase from 20 to 25%, as Joe just mentioned, is out. The estate tax reduction of the um, exemption amount from 11.7 to 6 million was dropped. The state and local uh, tax deduction for the ten, at the $10,000 cap, that is also out for now, but um, there's a big push to, to get that back in. And the prohibition of Roth conversions for both traditional IRAs and 401ks and other employer-sponsored above the $400,000 is also out. Corporate tax, the that is in, but greatly reduced from where it was. The proposed new top corporate rate of 26.5% is replaced with a 15% minimum tax to ensure that no corporations can use loopholes and incentives to pay a lower rate. The And basically the cap on aggregate retirement account balances is out. The Roth conversion limits are out as well as the billionaire tax. And so it's it's quite a radical shift from where we were in September. What about something everyone seems to care about, Jay, which is the SALT reduction, the $10,000 limit? Is that still being talked about? Yeah. So that's, you know, that's something that there's a real push to increase that $10,000 limit for state income tax deductions. So that may very well get back in. So, but it's some of the things that you mentioned earlier and spent some time on the grantor trusts. Those were a big, you know, concern, question mark, red alert, 911. How else do I say that for, you know, clients, high net worth clients and, and their practitioners? What's going on there? 
Yeah, so all of that is uh, not part of the new compromise bill. So, you know, everything that we just talked about regarding life insurance trusts, all the different grantor trusts, such as spousal trusts and grantor trusts and grantor retained annuity trusts, all of that is would not be part of this new bill. And the money would be mostly raised through increased corporate taxes. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to put on your, your magician hat, your crystal ball, get it out of here. We are November 5th. We have Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays between now and year end. What is your, if you were to guess, what's your uh, prediction as to where we end up with all that? So this is my opinion, my prediction, because as you can see, like where there's been such a change between September and the end of October, that I feel that the compromise bill is more likely um, that the changes will not be made for the end of this year. However, I do think that to get some of these programs involved, we'll hear more about it after the first of the year again. But I think for this year, that it's more likely that the the, the provisions from the original bill will not pass. However, there is a lot of negotiation and for anything to pass, it has to be approved by both the House and Senate. And it has not been negotiated in both chambers as of yet. So, but given where we are, I think it is more likely that it's like, few we, we don't know, these changes may not go into effect. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. I do remember the uh, last piece of major legislation, the 2019 Secure Act, pre-COVID, I'll say that, major legislation. I think that happened December 20-something. And you had the Christmas holidays, so everyone really had to scramble at year end to kind of make sense of that act and then put the planning into place early in, in 20, uh, 2020. Jay, thank you. That's been fascinating. Joe, I think it would be helpful for you, if you wouldn't mind, just take a, a couple minutes here. Tell listeners what a typical client experience is when interacting with your team and trust and estate planning counsel like Jay. I mean, what is it that your team does that coordinates well with the legal advice that, that Jay gives? Yeah, I think one thing that we do very well is, well, I think we do many things very well, but Jay and I, how we work together is between our teams is the service element, right? Our job is to make things simple for our clients and to do all the heavy lifting and report back with action items. And so behind the scenes, Jay and his team are extremely responsive to us. We work We play well in the sandbox together. We share ideas. We bounce things off each other. And again, the simplicity of it to the client is we'll always come back to them with a final wrapped gift of here's what you should do. And to the client, as everybody is different and we're willing to take them through and be as detailed as they like. James, you've heard me say this before. We look at ourselves as the CFO for families and their wealth. And most of these individuals want us to do as much as possible. And Jay's the perfect partner to work with and to get things done. I, I would like to add to that too. And I tell my clients that the best thing they can do for effective planning is to bring their wealth manager and the attorney together. Because I find when I work with clients that when I work with Joe and his team, that 
they are often working with the client for like on a on a regular basis they get to know the client really well and the family really well and when we do the planning together we get all of the perspectives on the table and palace capital also through james and their their crew they have a incredible ability to do a lot of a lot of the analytical planning work that will save the client money on legal fees and i appreciate that as the attorney and i appreciate having the perspective because then i think we really provide um, the best service to the client and because we, we, we've talked this whole time about estate planning and minimizing taxes but planning is largely practical the plan has to work there has to be a comfort level in terms of the amount um, that's used for planning because none of us want to outlive our money. So it's um, really it's really important to get that perspective. And my best estate plans is when we sit down once a year and do a review with the wealth advisors and, and then we can do a really great job for the clients. What would you say are maybe the top three or four things that individuals should be thinking about. We'll start with you, Jay. Given all that you've talked about of what's pending in Washington, D.C., what could be the final outcome, what should people be doing before the end of the year? Jay, I'll start with you. Okay. So, yeah, the top things are in anticipation of a possible decrease in the exemption amount from $11.7 million per person to $6 million per person. You should think about utilizing the, call it the lost exemption before the end of the year. So the lost exemption would be, for example, if, if you're in a position to gift more than 6 million as an individual or more than 11.7 million per person as a married couple, then the, this would be a great time to do that because otherwise you, you would potentially lose it forever. So that's that's the first. The second is this is a perfect time. We are so busy right now doing spousal lifetime access trusts and the other types of trusts that I spoke about earlier that might be eliminated. There's great tax benefits in those trusts. And I find a lot of my clients are, they've been thinking about it and talking about it for a long time. Well, now is really the time to act. And, and as well as the, the discounting techniques, um, those, I think those are the areas that I would focus on right now. How about you, Joe? What would you say? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is, is going back to the fluidity of the situation, right? One thing I was saying last week is something that you could say based off of the new proposal, maybe we don't need to talk about with clients, but again, given the constant changes, we don't know what's in store a week from now or two weeks from now. So I think the devil is better than the devil you don't. So that being said, we do know that capital gains taxes are you know, at 20% and pretty much at historic lows. We know that income tax brackets are pretty much at historic lows. So what we're recommending and what we're doing is working with our clients' advisors, besides Jay and the estate, estate planning front, but uh, our client CPAs. And we're looking at asking the question, should this client accelerate any earnings to 2021? For example, with the potential of Roth conversions going away, is that included in the acceleration of earnings? Should we be looking at that to, to create a tax-free asset? And then from a capital gain standpoint, do we, we, we 
love for individuals to defer taxes, but let's face it, at some point, you got to pay the piper. So are you better off doing so now versus down the road? And what I found extremely interesting over the last month in working with various CPAs based all over the United States, they, for the first time ever, they've all offered the same advice, take the gains now. And I've, and again, as we all know, CPAs don't like their clients to pay taxes. So to hear them say, take, take the gain now, it tells you a lot. So that's what I would advise clients look into. Yeah. And I think I'll just back up both of those things. And I think they were great is, of course, none of this stuff on the podcast is personalized advice to any listener. Every listener should talk with his or her own individual, you know, tax advisor, wealth manager, trust and estate counselor like Jay, like Joe. The other thing I'll mention is <clears throat> Joe at Palace Capital, we publish monthly newsletters. The, the newsletter going out this month is year-end planning checklist. So a lot of things that both you guys just mentioned are on that newsletter and discussed in a little more detail. Also, we go into a lot of detail as to the stuff that Jay spoke about with the new proposal from President Biden this past week about some of the, the I think, key points in that, particularly around grantor trust, around the, the income tax provisions, Roth conversions, all that stuff is in there. I would encourage our listeners to go back and check that out. Should be coming out today or, or early next week. Thanks, Joe. And thanks, Jay. And, and well, I think that's going to do it for this round of the Palace Perspectives podcast. It's been fascinating discussion. I think the takeaway I, I have is the only thing we can really depend on is the irony that the only thing that is constant is change itself. So like we said, you didn't like the proposal 30 days ago. You don't like it today. Stick around for another 30 days. We'll, we'll wait to see what it looks like. And that's why it's really important, as Jay mentioned, to stay in regular contact with trusted advisors like Joe and like Jay. Thanks so much, uh, Jay Pabian and Joe Colin. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, James. Yeah, of course. And listeners, if you would like to speak personally with Jay or other members of his firm, you can contact him via his website at rubinrudman.com. That's www.rubinrudman.com. As always, if you'd like to discuss your personal financial planning, reach out to us through our website, Palace Capital Advisors, P-A-L-L-A-S CapitalAdvisors.com. To all of our listeners, I want to wish you a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday, truly one of the best times of the year, particularly here in beautiful New England. Enjoy the time with friends and family. Take care, everyone. Palace Capital Advisors, LLC, and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You should consult the legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances. These materials are provided for general information and educational purposes based on publicly available information from sources believed to be reliable. We cannot assure the accuracy or completeness of these materials. The information in these materials may change at any time and without notice. The information contained herein is for informational purposes only, is not personalized investment advice, and should not be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any particular security security, sector, or strategy to any individual person or entity. Investment advice offered through Palace Capital Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor.